Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. That is the fourth time we've tried to record this intro, so just full disclosure. We're having we a hard are, time today. Um, some of us are having a hard time today. Um, wow. We did not take a walk, which might be our problem. We just went up the road to grab some coffee, so our ideas are less formed than usual. And we are sitting in very squeaky chairs doing an unauthorized recording at the seminary. So we're grateful for that, and hopefully no one will catch us and throw us out. Hopefully. Yolando Hinton, what is astonishing you this week? I am astonished by the power of generosity. Um, We've talked about this before, that um, our church is hosting a Samaritan's Feet event this Saturday. And uh, Samaritan's Feet is a really incredible organization started by a Nigerian immigrant, uh, Manny Ohomi. Um, He said he received his first pair of shoes when he was nine years old and that it changed his life. Uh, He's a retired NBA player and started this organization, Samaritan's Feet, to um, give shoes to children around the world. And so this Saturday, we're going to participate in that and... Uh, We're going to have kids from our neighborhood come to Derrida Church, and we're going to wash their feet. We're going to um, put a new pair of socks on them. We're going to put a new pair of shoes on them, tell them that Jesus loves them, tell them uh, that their future is bright. And uh, I'm so excited about um, this event. We've been blessed by a businessman here in Charlotte who told me, even before I went to Derrida, or as I was going to Derrida Church, he said, if your congregation is ever interested in doing this, I will write a check for all of the shoes. And so this businessman in Charlotte is paying for the shoes, and um, we're seeking to pay it forward by having our members just purchase uh, kids' shoes, and we're we're donating. Each each, Mm -hmm. uh, person is going to donate some shoes just for the next... Samaritan's Feet event somewhere else. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just amazed by the generosity and how it just, you know, there's that, that place in the Bible, uh, in the psalm that says that God makes our cup to overflow. Mm-hmm. And the image, and I think the intention of the psalmist is to say, um, my cup overflows into someone else's cup. Mm-hmm. And often what we do in this country is that when our cup begins to overflow, we get a bigger yeah, cup. Bigger cup, yep. And uh, I feel so, like I read a story somewhere about a man who built a pick of barn. Mm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's just wonderful because, um, look, we practice generosity. It's a hallmark of, of who we are as people of Jesus. Mm. And I think that there are lots of ways... You know, there's this movement about toxic charity, and and I know and believe that we need to be really intentional about um, just what our theology is when we are being generous and and who we're giving credit to and Mm. just how we're taking responsibility for our hearts when we show up. Um, But I also know that it's just important that we that we do it anyway, because we learn to be yes. generous by practicing yes. generosity. And, you know, some people will say, oh, well, that's a small thing, but it it won't be a small thing for some members of your congregation to do that. And, yes. um, and so many of our churches just 
uh, instinctively become inwardly focused and thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, what can we do for our kids or our young people or our older people? And so to be able to say we want to be a blessing to people in our neighborhood mm-hmm. And it might not ever result in those people mm-hmm. coming and sitting in a pew with us, but that's not the point. These are our values, and we practice yes. our values. And for us, this is part of a larger strategy of reintroducing ourselves to the community yeah. Yeah. to say we are here to give. We're here to serve. Um, and I've, I've watched some of the folks in our congregation just come alive with this event. One elder in particular Margaret has just gone above and beyond. She was at uh, a local grocery store yesterday passing out flyers, Mm -hmm. um, getting people to come. She spent hours and hours working on this. When, at a time when we thought, well, we just don't have enough volunteers, we don't have enough people power to do this, even though someone is buying the shoes for us. Um, and no, I many remember of us, you worrying about that. Right, I mean, yes. we've had that conversation. And about, some of us thought, well, we maybe we just can't do this. Margaret was like, no, we are doing this. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's happening on Saturday. And so, I mean, I remember when we were in the transformation process, one of the things that Bob and Bill told us <laughs> that just seemed like jargon at the time that I continually find to be true is you, you have to have a mission that is impossible for Mm. you to pull off, but for God. And too often we just limit ourselves to doing the things that we're confident we can do in our own strength with our own resources and do really well. And anything that seems the slightest bit risky, anything that might Mm. not, that might fail, we just say, oh no, that's not for us. But the reality is, I mean, a life of faith is being, is about being called out of what is normal and what is regular and what seems reasonable into what is risky, but, you know, a right risk and doing things that we say, you know, I'm not ashamed to fail in pursuit of the gospel because even that failure can tell a story. And so, I mean, and I just think it's such a great opportunity for our cultures to know that for, to build a church culture that says we're going to swing for the fences because yeah. sometimes God's going to allow us to hit a home run and sometimes we're going to strike out and either way we're going to know what you know what the next morning you get up and you try again because mm-hmm. it's not about nobody's keeping score mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. about living out our values and it's yeah. amazing to see how energizing that is in the community yes. that the gospel is attractive and yes. people are excited to have a community where they yes. get a chance to live out the gospel yeah one of the things my coach Tom Bandy has said to me is that so many smaller congregations lack a kind of esteem, Mm -hmm. an esteem that says God will and is empowering us to do great things, Mm -hmm. right? So we could see God moving in the larger churches, doing great things in our city through larger churches. But through us, no, we're just a little small church. And so we settle for small, insignificant things. And with this event, I'm seeing... Uh, some hearts and eyes open to maybe, maybe God wants to use even us, even our small congregation. And it's beautiful and exciting. I mean, that's a cultural ruler that Mm. we measure ourselves with and say, you know, this isn't for us because, you know, we're not enough. We're not big enough. We don't have enough to make Mm -hmm. a difference. And that is so anti-gospel when the gospel says, how does the kingdom come? Like a mustard Mustard seed, seed. like a measure of yeast hidden. I mean, we have to understand. chose 12, right? Right. Yeah. So (laughs) I, I think that that is really amazing. And again, like what I think is great, what's astonishing is not what you're doing, which is astonishing, but what's astonishing is to see like, oh my gosh, people are coming alive with this. Yes. And oh my gosh, just just as we were taught in scriptures, like just as, you know, it's just 
It's we really walk cool. by faith and not by sight. Oh my gosh, the gospel is true. <laughs> <laughs> so what is astonishing you? Um, well, I mean, not unrelated. Last night, um, we had a gathering of our church leaders, and we try to do that once a quarter. Um, we call it The Way. And it's a time, um, because we are a church that is very intentional about, I mean, we want to serve, and, and so mm. we do a lot, and the rhythm of our calendar is, I mean, fast, and yeah, yeah. it's really important that as we do these things, um, that we're constantly stopping and remembering why mm. and thinking about how. And so two things were really interesting. One, like I, you know, you as a pastor, like you have this spiel, right? Where you say like, this is what this is and this is why we're doing it. And so it's every time, I think this is probably the fifth time we've done it. And every time, like I write a blurb in our weekly newsletter, Mm -hmm. I stand up in front of the whole church and I say, you know, this is a gathering for leaders in our church. And a leader in our church is whoever is hearing the sound of my voice, right? I am talking to you. Why? You're thinking I'm not a leader, but I'm saying to you, you are. We all have a sphere of influence Mm -hmm. and we all are creating this congregation. And either we're knowing, you know, what we're aspiring for and intentionally trying to reach that or, or we don't. And like the culture we're trying to create won't happen spontaneously, Mm. right? Like it will happen through us, but it won't happen without us. And so I'm just saying to everyone, like, I promise you when I have a vision of what these nights look like, I mean, if we have 100 people in worship, I want 120 people at this gathering, right? I mean, we're all leaders. We are. It's not somebody else's thing. But it was so, this woman I love so much, and I ran into her on Tuesday morning because she had come because she every week comes to be part of um, our Friendship Trays team. So we're a distribution center so that people who deliver Meals on Wheels to residents in our part of town can just come to the church and deliver instead of driving across town to pick up the meals and coming back. So it just allows more people to get involved in that ministry for our neighborhood. It's great. It was really our first step into hourly focused mission because it meant our members literally just had to come to the church, to the church and sit in the church kitchen and greet the drivers. Right. So it's just, anyway, this woman who I love comes every week and she's the person on Tuesday morning who greets the drivers and gives them their bags that they go out and deliver. And so I said, you know, Hey, are you coming to the leadership thing tonight? And she said, Oh, I'm not a leader. And I was like, but you are. And, and so we have this conversation and, and it was really beautiful because you, you could just see how, um, I mean, this is tricky language to use, but like, how anointed that was mm. for her as a moment to mm. hear, mm-hmm. not me, but the pastor say, but you are who I'm thinking of, but you are a leader. And yeah. like right now you're yeah. standing at the threshold of our community every week yeah. greeting people. And so, wow. yes, like what you're doing matters and the way you do it matters. Mm-hmm. And you are a leader here. You are in your sphere of influence, either, you know, helping draw people closer to who Jesus is mm-hmm. or you know, or not. And it's not about being a good person or a bad person. It is about being an aware person or an unaware person. Anyway, so it was wonderful. And she was there. And I think we had, we did have 24 people, which is great for a church of our size. And, you know, just talking about, um, like we did a thing on like the five W's, like who are we? We're servant Mm -hmm. leaders. So who are we serving? And like, what is each of our what? Like, what is the thing in this season that we recognize as our responsibility? And and then to your 
earlier point about the smaller churches and this thinking about someday when we get to X size or X amount in the bank, then we'll do mission. You know, we talked about the where and the when, and the where is here and the when is now, right? That Mm. there's not that someday we'll have something meaningful and valuable to do Mm. once we hit some threshold very consciously described for us by the culture, but that it's, it's here and now, um, wherever we are gathered, Christ is in our midst. And we believe that it's Jesus who is transforming lives. And so you don't have to have a million dollar budget to be part of the life transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to be a congregation of 5,000 members in order to impact your neighborhood. Like here and now we do this and just, you know, it's just, I mean, not for nothing. Like I'm, I'm sitting in this gym and looking at these tables at this, you know, incredibly diverse set of leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in a, in a week when, you know, a restaurant and outside of Raleigh got this, you know, hate mail from a white supremacist organization saying, you know, get out or we'll get you out. And, you know, city council members who are African-American got anonymous letters. I mean, just like we live in a time when the world is so consciously trying to rise up and divide us. And the church is a place where we can have a unity that doesn't require us to whitewash our God-given nature, right? Like we can have a unity in diversity and it's just such a powerful thing and just such a holy thing and such a a kairos thing Mm. right to say there is something that unites us that doesn't require us to deny the pain and injustice but that unites us and gives us a common way forward Mm -hmm. um and and it's astonishing to me and just astonishing to me to say this is what church looks like like it's not oh, what a great pastor somebody has, or oh, what a great ministry coordinator somebody has. It's God's people coming together, sharing a common life according to the values and the revelations of Scripture, which are not something we could ever work out in our flesh. But when we do this in obedience, the Holy Spirit shows up and things happen that can't be explained in any other way than Jesus is risen and still doing this work. And it's just astonishing and exciting. And you never get tired of seeing it and um, the way it comes. So anyway, that's that's great. Wow. So what are you thinking about? Well, it's interesting how these things are connecting. I'm, I'm mindful that um, this past Monday was the second anniversary of Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. And, um, that talking about race and racism and white supremacy is everywhere these days. Mm-hmm. And, um, and white fragility well, is everywhere well, these days. I'm also aware that we tend to talk about race and use the word race in a way that the Bible does not. Oh my gosh, this is my sermon on Sunday, but go ahead. Really? Okay, well, wow. Next Sunday. Well, Inspired um, by you, so well, you shouldn't be surprised. Oh, very good. Um, that, you know, when we use the word race, we're really talking about a human construct that describes how we are different. Skin color, hair texture, facial features. That's usually what we mean 
by race. That's not what the Bible means about race. When the Bible refers to race, it's really just the descendants of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. So there's just one, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But when the Bible talks about our differences, it uses the word nations or um, in the Greek ethnos, right? Ethnicities. And so because of that, what's very clear is that we all have the same story of fall, rebellion, sin, disobedience against God. So any kind of talk of supremacy is its really not, it's biblical nonsense. And at the same time, we all have the same story of redemption, salvation in Jesus. So that in Jesus, right, the, the scripture says God is making a new humanity. We're made family. And our job as the church is to live like we really believe this is true. And it might look like Mm -hmm. losing our lives. It might look like, uh, you know, being at an event in Charlottesville and and losing our our, our life in a protest. But more often than not, I think it looks like having friendships across ethnic lines. It looks like being in a multi-ethnic congregation. It looks like everyday life. And we're failing, I think, the church is failing to see the, and appreciate the power of that. And often when, I'm, when I hear Christians talk about race and racism, they sound more like the commentators on the news, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, whoever you watch, and less like the text of Scripture, the Christian tradition. And I'm, I'm just very concerned about that. Well, I think... Two things. Um, I mean, I I think one of the challenges, one of the stumbling blocks for white people, not that I speak for all white people, but I know a few, um, is I think that people um, will say, okay, I'm with you 100%, Yolanda, like Mm -hmm. race isn't real. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm on board. We're all the same. But then the next step is they go, and since race isn't real, that means racism isn't real. And people stumble when they're trying to figure out how can I agree with you and say race isn't real, but also agree with you and your experience of racism, which is real. And so I think it's just um, important to be able to say that when we say that race is a human construct used to justify injustice mm-hmm. um, and violence that we are saying that the it is a lie but it like most lies is employed very deliberately and strategically mm-hmm. to wield power and influence Absolutely. and profits for a certain segment of people and mm-hmm. so it's just important to be able to say yes as we affirm that race is a lie of the enemy to divide us that the product of that lie is very much real and felt Absolutely. by every member Absolutely. of yes. our society. Yes. And that's a, um, it's a really challenging thing, I think, that a lot of white people stumble on. Um, and so I, I, I think that, I mean, we have to figure out in the church a way to talk about racism that, A, you know, affirms that central truth that we're all created in the image of God and that we all carry a piece of God's glory and that we are all um, inferior to Christ, Mm. 
um, and yet made righteous through him, right? So that, I mean, I love that statement of the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Yeah. Um, and, and also, knowing that that's true, that doesn't mean that we aren't responsible for being our brother's keeper, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's, I, I think, I was thinking about this the other day, like just how as you grow older, just like biblical stories that you know so well begin to have so much more meaning to yeah. you because yeah. you know the story of Cain and Abel when I was a kid just never made any sense like I'm looking at it and going like you know God couldn't you just have said you liked both their <laughs> offerings right like what like just really seemed like God was the principal bad actor in that story and you know now I look back and see what that really is is about God revealing a truth that was uncomfortable to Cain um and Cain reacting to reality by trying to destroy the person who, you know, made that truth apparent, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and this happens all the time with white people. If we want to have a hard conversation about racism, the charge is, oh, well, you're being racist, right? Mm-hmm. So to call someone the N-word mm-hmm. or to tell people that they need to go back to where they're coming from, like, you don't know what's in a person's heart, when they, and you can't judge them. But if you talk about racism, now you're being racist. And it's yeah. just this idea that at times the truth in front of us is, is so painful and so overwhelming that our instinct is just to you know, attack Mm -hmm. whoever it is Mm -hmm. that is forcing us to contemplate that truth Mm -hmm. instead of Mm -hmm. saying, you know, this is a real and it's painful and I'm, I'm complicit and I'm going to have to make real changes in order to get my life in line with the gospel. So I'm, I'm yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I I think my concern is probably, um, yeah, focused on or born out of, you know, you and I talk a lot about um, not only stating what we're against, but what we're for. Correct. And I think when it comes to race and racism, I'm not hearing a lot of what we're for. What's the alternative story yeah. to racism? And yeah. I think that's what I'm getting at. Even as we fight racism, well, there, there's got to be a good news, a gospel, an alternative story. And I think that's what I'm I'm Well, I think you and I are both really trying to do the hard work of building a community that becomes a living word of saying, this is what it looks like to have authentic relationships with people that the world says are, you know, ought to be an enmity. And those relationships based not upon people checking their pain Mm. and checking their reality at the door and pretending it doesn't matter, but a space where we can hold space for one another and listen to stories and recognize, like, I am my brother's keeper, and so my life needs to change so yes. that, you yes. know, my my brother can mm-hmm. also flourish. And that the reality is, as much as the culture would lie to me and say that my happiness and my security depends upon the suffering and lack mm-hmm. of my brother, the truth of the gospel is... Actually, it doesn't, That's right. and that I am in, in I'm my own life is already diminished and suffering because my neighbor, because my brother, my sister is suffering, and um, when we flourish, we all flourish together. I mean, that is the revelation of the gospel. And I would add, and scripture in general, yes. shalom. I mean, that's yes. shalom, that, right? This idea yes. that wellness, wholeness, wellness. is interdependent, yes. and yes. that your flourishing doesn't mean my diminishing. That's right. That's that's, right. that's what yeah. we. God is bringing shalom. And I, I would add, you know, uh, as central to the uh, Christian tradition, 
that because of the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ, we are free, we are open to confess sin, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing that there is a grace that will forgive, redeem, restore. And so I think what, um, I think I'm right about this, I think what, what quite a few white people need is to know that black people are really gracious. Yeah, <laughs> and gosh. I mean, probably too much. And so to, to trip, to stumble, to say something wrong, to uh, confess wrongdoing, you will get, you will receive grace. Well, and I think beyond that, and, I, and I've written about this before and talked about it, I mean, I think that some of the white fragility that we see in the Christian church just mm-hmm. betrays the fact that we have not ever seriously repented mm-hmm. or we don't actually believe we're sinners. Mm-hmm. And so when we're confronted with evidence that we have done harm, like we're so offended yeah. by that. And we think your reality must be a lie because there's no way yes. that my actions could be a part of something like yeah. that. And so we I'm reject because I'm a good person, which, but I mean, if I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, then, you know, I believe that, you know, I'm the woman with the alabaster vase, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am the person who's been forgiven much. And I, yeah. I know that about my, myself, right? Like I have repented and said, like, goodness isn't in me, but what goodness is in me comes from Jesus. And I, I've already, I'm not surprised to discover that I'm a sinner who's caught up in the web of sin. And so if you, my brother comes to me and says, you know, Hey Kate, when you said that thing, when you preached that sermon, you know, it might not have been your intent, but your impact was this Mm. and your impact matters. I should not be I mean, I'll be hurt because I want everyone to like me all the time. And because I have an ego and a false sense of self like anyone else, but my theology ought to step in at that point and stop me from being surprised Mm. and allow me Mm. to consider the possibility that I'm a human being who sins and whose sin matters so that I can say, all right, I can repent. I can repent to you and I can repent to God, and it doesn't fundamentally change my sense of who I am because I already knew I was a sinner. Yeah. I already knew that. Yeah, and good. I just don't think that most mm, powerful, wealthy, middle class, upper middle, I don't think most white people really believe they're sinners. Mm. Because I so, think the culture teaches us okay. that we're not. The culture so, teaches us white is right. So then are we saying that at the end of the day, what we're facing not, I guess not only with racism, but with a lot of things in our society. It's just a failure of theology. It's a failure of right biblical understanding. It's, it, it, I do. I yeah, mean, and this yeah. leads me to what I'm because, thinking about. Because if it's not, then what we're, what we're left with is just a power struggle. Yes. Right? Yes. No, and this is what we were talking about in our quick walk before was, mm. I'm going to talk about this article I read in a denominational publication. Yes, you're so... Yes. But listen... I, um, this church that was being highlighted um, was being lifted up for doing something innovative. And the pastor said at the end of the article, um, we just need to figure out a way to share our progressive values in a way that is financially sustainable and attractive. And I am like, son of a gun. Like, this is a national denominational publication mm. lifting up a church and a pastor who with who says who says yeah. 
Yeah. I'm trying to share progressive values. Yeah. Well, bully for you. I'm trying to share, share the, the gospel. gospel. Yes. Because mm-hmm. the church has nothing else to offer the world except for the gospel. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. And yeah. If I mean, if what I wanted to share was progressive values, then A, all I am in is a power struggle, right? Yes. And I am exactly the yes. same as the Jerry Falwell yes. and the moral majority. I'm just yeah. saying, put me in charge and I will impose morality on you. And it's okay to impose my morality on you because my morality is the right morality. Right. Well, I mean, that is just bad theology, yeah. A. Yeah. But even if I wanted to impart progressive values, let me tell you what institution I would not work for. <laughs> the church, right? Like if I, if what I am passionate about is progressive values and listen, I am a person who checks all the progressive boxes, right? Like obviously I understand that there's, in my opinion, a huge overlap between the progressive culture and my understanding of the gospel, right? So it's not that I think that I mean, it's it's not that I don't. It's just you're not condemning. I'm not condemning. But progressive values aren't aren't the Antichrist. It's just not Jesus. Yeah. And I just think like to draw a circle and say, come stand in this circle. If you behave like us, think like us, agree with mm-hmm. us. And if you don't, you can just go to hell. Yeah. That's not the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And like the reality is I am called to sacrificial, other loving, um, sacrifice. That's a great turn of a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> loving self-sacrifice. That is the gospel is yeah. saying that, I, I, that that is what I think transforms reality. That's what transforms reality with Jesus on the cross. And when we participate upon in that, the Holy Spirit is there and God does what God does. I mean, I'm not interested in getting rid of all the bad fill in the blank people or mm. destroying them. I'm not interested. I, I'm not, I don't think we improve our community by subtraction. I yeah. think we all come to Jesus and Jesus does a deep work in all of us that we don't control. Um, and, and, and that's what I want to offer. And it makes me sad when, you know, our common ground with a progressive political agenda, with a conservative political agenda, whatever, leads us to think that the gospel is a means to an end yes. instead of the end. Yes. So, yes, I think that we have a problem, a theological problem in parts of the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, what are you preaching about? We are um, in Galatians chapter 2. Oh, we, uh, that's interesting. Got, yeah, we got through the first 11 verses, and uh, this Sunday we're looking at that place. It's a wonderful place in the letter where Paul says, work out your own salvation in fear, fear and, and trembling. trembling. Um, but also knowing that it's God who is at work in you, yeah. both, I love this, he says, both to work and to will for God's good purpose mm-hmm. or God's good pleasure. And so we're, we're just simply looking at this dynamic of, you know, how do you grow? Well, you got to put in some effort. You, If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to become... Yeah. Um, I mean, I love that duality of work out your faith in fear and trembling because God is at work in you. Yes. So it's that, I mean, you have to be able to hold two opposite ideas in your head at the same time. It's And that, not go... Not go crazy, yeah. not pick one or the other. Right. And I love that Dallas Willard saying, which has been really helpful for me and for people in my church about grace is opposed to earning, right. not, not effort. effort. And yes. just this idea that we do things... Yeah. 
in humility and trust, but then we're not counting on the results of our efforts. Mm -hmm. We are believing that God will be at work in us as we work out our faith in fear and trembling because we're not God. (laughs) That's right. And there's, there's another place where Paul says something like, you know what? I worked harder than anyone else. When I was a Pharisee. Well, but no, then he says, but it really wasn't me. It was the grace of God at mm-hmm. work in me, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's both. It's both I work and God works, but I can work only because God is at work in me. Yeah, and actually, I mean, that was one, the big takeaway from our leadership gathering last night was to say, it's really good that we know these five W's, that we think about what we're doing and why we're doing it and who we are. But at the end of the day, um, it's all about remembering that that how we do our work is by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. How we yeah. do our work yeah. is, you know, and, and Carl you know, just retold the story of Mary and Martha and said, like, look, Martha was serving Jesus. She was making food. Like, she was doing a good thing. And Jesus said, Mary has done the one thing necessary. Like, if you're not, if you're so busy doing your stuff that you're not sitting at the feet in relationship with Jesus, Mm -hmm. if you're so busy executing your progressive agenda or your conservative agenda, but you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, then, you know, you're you're sound and fury and you are probably being used by the enemy. Um, so just, yeah, it's, um, that's really, really, really good well, stuff. Well, well, we're still on track to, to possibly finish at the finish end of August, like, like you planned. Well, maybe not the end of August, but uh-huh. certainly before the beginning of Advent. Huh, well, but we'll stay see, tuned, won't we? Stay we will see. So what are you time preaching? well spent. Well, this Sunday, I'm actually not in the pulpit. That's right. Um, because we are going vacation. on vacation with the girls to the beach. So please pray that no one gets eaten by a shark. And, oh. or bitten by a shark. Okay. <laughs> like, I just know sharks. Um, and we have really amazing guest preachers, um, Adrian and Emmanuel Threat who um, are part of this ministry called Hope Vibes, are coming in um, to talk about um, their theology of serving because mm. that's um, the part of our mission statement that we saved for them. So I'm super excited for that. I'll be listening um, online. But then the following week, we're going to wrap up our This Is Us series um, by talking about one of our core values and probably our most visible value as a community, and that's diversity. And so mm. that just circles back to... What we were talking about really all the way through is just this idea that, A, we believe that, you know, there's one race, it's the human Mm -hmm. race, Mm -hmm. that we all carry the image of God, that we're not homogenous. And, you know, there's all that great Pauline theology about, you know, when, you know, the beginning of Romans, when he has like the... I mean, this is wonky, but like their senseless mind was, you know, their senseless yeah. heart. I mean, mm-hmm. this idea that outside of Christ, there's there's um, homogeny, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone is sort mm-hmm. of the same outside of coming alive in Christ. But yeah. that once we're inside um, and once we've come alive with Christ, that that is when diversity, it's not when diversity goes away, yeah. it's when diversity comes out, right? And so this yeah. idea that there's, there's one race, but we're yeah. looking at the passage from Revelations, Revelation 7, not Revelations, <gasps> sorry. Revelation 7, um, just talking about, you know, the host of oh, nations without number, like coming. And you see, and what that is, is this visual image. I mean, many things, but this this vision of unity and diversity, right? Because yes. how are they described? They're described by their difference, you yes. know, from every nation, from tribe, every people, language. from every tribe, from every language. But there's the unity and they're wearing the robes. Mm. Um, that they've given their lives to the cause 
of reconciling the world to God, right? Which is, you know, this rejection of the myth of redemptive violence and this call to follow, pick up your cross and follow Christ in self-giving love. Anyway, so I'm excited. So hopefully you can um, check us out online if you want to find out more about our churches. Yolando is serving at Dorida Presbyterian Church, and you can get to their website through Google. And I am serving at the Grove Presbyterian Church, and our website is thegrovecharlotte.org. And you can listen to these sermons um, and see how close they come to what we think we're going to preach. Yolando's sermons, you can find them on the Podbean website, um, Dorida Church. Search for that. And the Grove podcasts, when we don't have technical difficulties, are uploaded every week on our Grove Church podcast, which is... Uh, available on iTunes. So check them out. Thanks for listening.